Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is the Toffee Web Podcast. Hello, Blues. Welcome back to the Toffee Web Podcast, where we will be dealing with yet another home defeat for Everton. They're sixth in their last seven at Goodison Park, and their third straight without a goal. Sean Dyche's side managed just one shot on target against Arsenal, and rather meekly seems to accept defeat which was quite the contrast from the last two meetings between the two sides on Merseyside, both of which the Blues won behind raucous atmospheres. It means that Everton remain winless in the Premier League after five games and really sharpens the focus on the three upcoming fixtures against Brentford, Luton and Bournemouth. And of course, there's the ongoing saga over investment in the club, which now looks like it'll be a full takeover by 777 partners, news that is certainly dividing opinion among Evertonians, as Farhad Mashiri paves the way for his exit after seven and a half years. Andy, Adam and I... We'll get into it all, starting with that dreadful performance against Arsenal. L said he'd drop in if he could make it, but he actually said it best on Twitter over the weekend when he posted, We're Everton, at Goodison. I don't care where we are in the league or the opposition, we should go for it, always. Andy, I think you could say that Everton were the polar opposite of that basic expectation on Sunday. Yeah, it was one of those where we didn't really lay a glove on the opposition. I just think that's unacceptable, really. Um, And... Uh, yes, I could see the game plan. Yes, it was obvious what the game plan was, is to stay in the game as long as we could, to try and nick a goal. Uh, Arsenal are good opposition. They are about as good as it's going to get. I, I understand all that. But with the ball, I don't think... I mean, I'm going to include the Doncaster game in this. I don't think I've seen a worse performance as with the ball as an Everton fan, certainly at Goodison. Um 
it was inept. It was technically really deficient. Uh, and, you know, that kind of game plan is only, only good if it works, isn't it? I mean, the, the, you can, there can be no positives to be taken at all if you don't get anything from the game. I mean, if we'd got a nil-nil and we're all sitting here going, OK, we got a point against Arsenal, it wasn't very pretty fair enough, but the fact is we didn't. Um, I, it was one of those games I came away from it and I, I was proper low after that. And, and it feels like the kind of the straw that's broken the camel's back for me. You know, our our season probably isn't going to be defined by how we get on against Arsenal. And yet it felt like just the most recent in-your-face example of how poor we are as a team. Um, you know, you, you watch other teams play the, the, the big sides. Um, and we all know the kind of teams I'm talking about now who aren't, you know, at the top themselves. But yeah, they soak it up. But yet they can certainly do something when they've got the ball. Um, and I just didn't, I didn't ever see us scoring a goal. I mean, I was celebrating throw-ins. I really was going, come on, boys, we can get something from this throw. I mean, we couldn't celebrate a corner because I think we only had one. Um, yeah. And so, the, you know, you can't even joke that we celebrated corners. Um, it was, yeah, it was pretty bleak, I felt. And, and and with all the caveats of who it was against and what our game plan was, I just thought, you know, it just it just brought it home to me that I said on the last podcast, we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay. I'm not sure we will after that. And and that's you know, um, that's not me trying to be downbeat, but I'm I'm I, and I'm and I'm I'm actually gonna. I've said to myself, I'm going to get this out of the way at the beginning of this pod, and from then on, I'm going to try and be positive, and try and think of some positive things, but. You have to start with the fact that that was as bad as it gets, I think. And I'm and I'm only talking about a one nil defeat here, right? It's not as if they came to Goodison and beat us five. It was almost worse. It was almost, you know, that we just sat there, didn't we? We just sat there, and you thought, well, what's the plan, boys? Um, but um, yeah, I, the, it was it was one that left me low, and one that I've thought an awful lot about since. Um, and um, we're not in a good place, and it hurts really. Yeah, that's the feeling, isn't it? It's despondent, really, just sad about it. Not, I, I, I was angry at the time. I think um, it kind of reawakened <laughs> the anger when I saw just our inability to do the basics right, as you said, Andy. Just holding on to the ball. Uh, Premier League footballers who we know have provided moments of quality and technical nous and have commanded wages to to get to this stage in my career seemingly just lose that ability and yet I, I, I completely agree there has to be a big asterisk next to everything we're about to say that Arsenal are a very good side I was watching Zinchenko pick up little positions and take hold of the ball look after it and I have that memory of us being very tenuously vaguely linked to his signing thinking wow yeah. that would be nice wouldn't it a midfielder who really takes care of the ball who finds space who comes short at corners so that Ashley Young doesn't drift it into the goalkeeper's palm it was it would have been really nice to have Zinchenko 
or anyone really in that midfield who could look after it. Annoyingly, we do have someone in central midfield who's quite good on the ball, who's looked promising and probably one of the few players who's not not sort of gone hiding in this early, well, death march into into the middle of September. It's James Garner. And I think we really missed having someone like him on the ball in the middle. I do understand why Deitch went that way. And to your point, Andy, if 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 that's a scrappy a scrappy draw or who knows even a even a win from a set piece goal because that's that's probably all all it was likely to come from then we're calling it a masterclass we're we're saying that Sean Dyche does know what these fine details are but I'm I'm not really seeing fine details I'm not really seeing basics we were we were slightly better at the back end but we didn't concede a hatful of goals in the way we did say away at the Emirates or away at Villa Park against a, a good attacking side, but we 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 didn't threaten the the most we had to cheer. Yeah, you're right, Andy. We weren't even holding on for set piece moments. It was it was probably Beto wrestling with someone was about as excited as I got. Um <laughs> and even then there was a frustration when you saw someone who who was trying to to feed off very little, which is by the way, what we're doing as spectators. And seeing just an ocean of space around him and wanting someone to be up there with him, feeding off that that niggly sort of play that he was doing backing into Saliba. He, he looked like he could rattle someone, but we had no one there around him. And then a straight swap with Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Kesarar Sarar. You, you knew we weren't going to score. We didn't really deserve to. And that's that's why this all feels so flat. It's It's worrying to see so early on in the season a kind of predictability in how we're going to play in these games. And Els, Els words are spot on. We, we we should at least be turning up, showing some fight. That's not pettiness. That's not two-footing someone on the Achilles tendon. That's just trying and trying something different and running at people or showing something. And there was, there was so, so, so little to take from that game. Yeah. I liked all the Andy's um, adjectives because it was bloody awful. It was yeah. insipid, lifeless. Yeah. I mean, yeah, picture, pick your adjective. But the worst thing for me was just boring. It was mm. just boring. We offered absolutely nothing. We stood off Arsenal, essentially hoped we could get through the first hour without conceding, which you know we did. But then there was no spark. There was no. There was nothing at that point, you know, to the because the tone had already been set. Um, yeah. The performance had already been set, and they just couldn't. They couldn't for the life of them break out of it. I mean, at no point did our players seem to have any idea how to go about getting the ball forward, apart from just lumping it up towards Beto or Calvert-Lewin or, or, or throwing it down the channels. They didn't seem to have any belief whatsoever that they could hurt Arsenal in any way. And the annoying thing about all the caveats about Arsenal are a great side and they're probably going to touch, um, challenge for the title again this season. They all apply, but they also applied in February. And yes, there was a different atmosphere and it was a different circumstance. And we kind of had our, you know, our backs against the wall kind of thing um, at, at that point. But there was, there wasn't at any point in that game, any resemblance to, to that performance, to that approach, to that, any kind of get up and go to try and say, yes, we are Everton. This is Goodison Park. We're going to, you're going to leave here having known that you've been in a game. But I don't think Arsenal got, got out of first gear, to be honest. You know, they just basically played around us and toyed with us, bided their time and scored. Um, you know, Deitch's big fallback from the first few games of this season, Villa aside, obviously, 
was that we we're creating chances. Uh, and I did a, a preview question answer thing with the Arsenal Mania website where I said that in very un like fashion, we've been fairly attacking side so far. There was none of that on Sat on Sunday at all. There was some grit there, I think, you know, for the likes of Mikalenko, who I think did, did really, really well. And I was really glad to see him come back yeah. into the side. Uh, I was less impressed with Ashley Young keeping his his place at the expense of Nathan Patterson because he doesn't offer anything going forward. I mean, Patterson gets an assist for, at Sheffield United. We don't get that assist. We don't get that goal with Ashley Young on the pitch at Bramall Lane. At least I don't think so. Uh, Tarkovsky had his moments, but he's not really been the player that he was last season yet. Thought Brian Thwaite played really, really well, um, given the stand of the opposition in particular. But uh, you know, just in general, there was just no intensity. Uh, and as Al said, you know, no matter who comes to Goodison, they should expect a game, and uh, not to have it easy as easy as Arsenal did. And just to pick up on something you just said, we keep putting things aside, don't we? I mean, we said last season, oh, Lampard lost to we lost too many games against teams around us. Um, well, we've already done that twice. Um, uh, Villa's been put aside as, oh yeah, we didn't get that one quite right. Well, yeah, but <laughs> that's something else. We've already we've really had we've really played five games. Is it five or six? No, five, isn't it? Five, yeah. Yeah, and we seem feels, to be feels like twelve or thirteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we just seem to be we just seem to be kind of like, oh well, that was an anomaly. Oh well, we did well but didn't score, and we did that again. And oh well, it it, it was against Arsenal. I mean against Sheffield United oh well well we scored twice yeah but we conceded some terrible goals as well like we just seem to be trying to put things to one side to give it a chance but if you look at I mean I'm just looking at a stat on Twitter and I presume this is right I haven't checked it um, since 2021-22 in the league we've played 81 games and we have 76 points I mean this I mean that's just bleak. I don't know. That's that's barely possible if you think about it, because <laughs> yeah. you know with that yeah. kind of performance, you usually are getting relegated. So you'd normally naturally pick up a few more points the next season. Um, that's why it feels. I think like it feels just so bleak because we are just there, aren't we? We 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 are. The lights are on, but nobody's in. You know, it's it, it's it's just this constant disappointment constant drip 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 and I think that's what kind of got to me Sunday it wasn't that we'd lost to Arsenal it wasn't that they were better than us and all that kind of stuff it was just the car when are we gonna have something just to cheer about I mean we're getting excited about a two-all draw away at Sheffield United for heaven's sake I mean when are we gonna have something to cling on to it feels like so long um because the end of last season was let's be honest just naked relief wasn't it it was bare relief that we dot yeah. me it wasn't joy it was relief and i i mean the last time i can actually remember watching everton and actually proper enjoying it was the 3-0 win against palace last year where i thought we played really well it was as i've discussed on this pod it was a dreamy day and i thought God, i really enjoyed that i can't remember many since mm. And the worry is, like like Brian away, it it starts to become a very very isolated incident in the in the context of a season. It's uh, not. It, yeah, it was I mean, it was never something to build on. It was it was a, a great moment at the time. And mm-hmm. Daesh again has got a, a lot of. Um, 
he's he's garnered a lot of reputation based on either chances created or or that game away at Brighton. And we, what we're seeing now is, again, uh, you, you've got pundits like Gary Neville sort of in in sympathy, saying, "Oh, the fans are weary, the fans are," and yeah, of, of course we are because the, the only it's feeding off scraps. It really, really is. There's there's so little to be said. Of course, there are some positives. You, you mentioned some of them there, Lyndon, in terms of some of the performances. And mm-hmm. I agree, it was it was it was great to see Mikalenko um, battling against one of the best wingers, if not in the league, then certainly in Europe right now. Um, putting a fantastic performance. We looked a lot more balanced as well. It's got to be said with Mikalenko in the side. Okay, we lose something going forward, but to your point about Ashley Young, he's he's not got the pace to be making those those kinds of runs and crosses that we'd expect from Patterson on the other side. So we're not going to really get it on the left-hand side um, and set pieces. Yeah, we, we, we've done that a lot recently. We don't really need to go over that well-trodden ground. Um, Bramthwaite as well was fantastic, but God, are we going to need those two and more to perform well if we're going to play like that, if we're going to give up in midfield? It was, it was a surrender, wasn't it? Against a very good midfield. Again, we can... We could keep saying that, but there's a there's a difference between being outplayed to outfought, and we were completely not not at the races in the middle. And these are these are these aren't bad players, although empirical evidence over the last couple of years and stats <laughs> like you just mentioned, Andy, may, maybe they are. I don't know, but it's it it really it really is a lot when we're 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 really kind of pinning our hopes on small moments. Even I mentioned recently, Beto's header against Doncaster that didn't go in is, 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 is looking like the highlight of my year thus far. Hopefully not in life, but certainly in Everton life. And that, that really shouldn't, how, how low has the bar been set? That that's what we're hanging our hopes on. A missed header against, at that time, statistically the worst team in the land. Yeah, I I love that it didn't go in. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, the the bar has the bar has sunk to very low levels. It's sunk I mean, to the post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if you're a season ticket holder at Goodison since October last year, the match that you know you mentioned, yeah, uh, you've witnessed a grand total of ten goals, ten in sixteen games. You've seen four wins. I mean, for a fortress, it ain't. And when you consider that we've won four away games in the last two seasons <laughs> and a bit, mm. I mean, it's no wonder that we've been stuck near the bottom of the table for as long as we have. I mean, the recruitment problems have obviously been well documented. I mean, overall, the squad is weaker coming out of the last transfer window in terms of depth. I mean, but even without Jack Harrison and Seamus Coleman, that is a decent first eleven. It's a decent first level. I mean, the concerns obviously about injuries and all the rest of it. If we you know if we lose first team players, they're all valid. But it's a decent first eleven. It's one capable of hurting teams. I mean, it's shown it can move the ball forward on the deck when they're in the mood. Obviously, Brighton away being a prime prime example. But you have to hunt. You have to wonder. I mean, I put it on Twitter. You have to wonder what the hell they work on at Finch Farm all week because it sure as hell isn't intricate passing. I can't count the number of times I've said on this podcast and in match reports and articles on the website that they're failing at the basics. They're getting done, you know, on, on, on short corners at the moment. No one's covering the, the spare man. It was the only tactic that Arsenal employed, and yet we did nothing to counter it, conceded a goal off it. 
you know, I can't, I can't believe a player like Idrissa Gay, for example, who played for Parry bloody Saint-Germain, if you can believe it, can't find his own man from five yards. You know, puts it into touch when his, when Michelin, I think it was Michelin, was, was right there. Uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, and he can't even get a shot on target most of the time. So for me, I mean, if you're going to play him, Idrissa Gay should be sitting in front of the back four and told to simply win the ball and pass it on. If you can, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to drop Amado Anana back in the way that Deitch did on Sunday, he was basically the the one you know set further back, and Adjusticay was kind of the the lead um, the lead presser, if you can call what we were doing pressing, because it was it was essentially stand off and wait wait for Arsenal to get into our half and then try and manage them, which you know caveats aside of Arsenal really not playing to their best. We, we kind of did until we conceded the goal. But um, I mean, for me, it should have been James Garner playing further forward, particularly with Iwobi gone, because he, he can at least pick a pass. You know, just a gay can't pick a pass. He can't score a goal. He's, mm. We know what his strengths are, and he should not be in, in that part of the pitch for me. It's just maddening. I'm, you know, I'm just not sure what, what Deitch is trying to do sometimes, and that really worries me. And the worrying thing is we've, we've had a celebrated midfielder who semi-assembled this midfield couldn't get it right we've now got a back to basics manager in inverted commas and as you say Lyndon the, the basics the basics aren't there as you say a, sh- a short corner routine but we, we all saw him the first off nearly lead to a goal and then it's and then it's not been it's not been noticed by as you mentioned somebody's somebody's played at the Champions League not years ago not okay he's he's getting towards the sunset of his career but not, 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 not too long ago, he was playing in very high-profile games, and now just looks a shadow of the player that he that he was. Certainly when we, certainly when we last saw him in an Everton shirt, and that that's that's the bit when when I hear Deitch, and I, to be honest, I'm at the point now where press conferences just pass me by. I don't yeah, really put too. put too much stock in them because, God, I mean. He, he he faces an impossible task at the minute because all all of the questions that everyone wants to know an answer to he can't give an answer to. Mm-hmm. So then he has to talk about feel and fine details. But... <laughs> the Everton drinking game feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many but times does I mean, say feel? <laughs> but he, but even that we've had to lower expectations. We used to have Martinez saying phenomenal and okay, what we what we've seen wasn't phenomenal, but it, at least it's a. It's a, it's it's a fun word to say, and it it sort of suggests that things were exciting once. Whereas fine details and and seeing a complete lack of them, i.e. Mm. at set pace at set pieces, long balls into the box like um, the goal against Wolves. These are these are the basics that I would expect someone like Dyche to be to be on and drilled, and then yeah, passing. One of the most simple parts of a game, but the, the difference, by the way, that it makes having Bramfway in there, who, mm-hmm. okay, there are there are brief moments where he, he maybe overplays a little, but on the whole, so much more composed on the ball. And but then, even so, we're still having to bypass that mid- midfield a lot of the time because it's it's not it's not giving us anything, and and that in turn affects the wide players who didn't really. Get a chance to stretch their legs. We, we, we had sort of two promising runs, didn't we? We had Beto get the ball out wide on the left and have a little moment, and then he overran it. And we had Decore with that half-hearted fall into the box. And again, mm-hmm. this is me feeding off scraps in the match report, but this is all I can give you is those kind of moments. But there was no real penetration either, and that a lot of that starts from having someone in the midfield. 
And again, okay, different side, different level of budget, different level of recruitment, different type of manager. But the, the difference was night and day between the likes of Odegaard picking up the ball. I know he's going to be a, a better technical footballer than, say, Abeldai Decore, but we just, there's, there's not that big a gulf. It felt like a chasm at times on Sunday, and it, it really shouldn't be the case. Where would you put the uh, the, the Beto run and over overrun it um, in his top three highlights so far? Would it be above the post? Or? <laughs> it's 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 close. Um, I mean, his it, goals in there as well. So I suppose pretty, so. That pretty makes the three. Yeah, um, his goal second, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, <laughs> and that's not me having a go at Beto because he's one of the bright things we can talk yeah. about. But it's just yeah, yeah when you when you when you're reliving parts of the game and you can think of the moment that your striker overran it um, as one of the better bits. Uh, yeah, that I think that says everything, really. That's, um, that's my new podcast, Beto Bits. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring it out. Better want to throw in. Let's do half an hour on yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> a rival to Toffee Web Podcast just talking about those, you know, big highlights. Um, I mean, yeah, it's... Um, you can go around in circles with it, really, can't you? I mean... The, the the scary bit is that, and me and Adam have already had a quick chat about this. The scary bit is you already find yourself very very invested in Nottingham Forest Burnley on a Monday night in mm-hmm. mid September yeah. because you think, well, this is gonna this this is actually gonna make a difference to our season, I think. Um, and I almost I was just about to text my mate who's a Spurs fan on Saturday to say, do you realise what you're doing is essentially relegating us now? <laughs> and luckily, they pulled it out. But but I was actually thinking, wow, can I ever imagine us going to Spurs at the moment and being 1-0 up in injury time? I, I just can't, I, I can't fathom it. No. And I know they didn't win the game. I know they didn't get a point from the game. But they almost did. And that's more than we've done for quite some time. You know, I just thought, who are these three teams? You know, I talk about this, we've got to find three worst teams. Well, I can see one, for sure. I ugh, I can probably see a second, maybe. But I reckon we are right in that bottom three of bad teams at the moment. And, um, and that's why, that's the scary bit. You think, well, we're away at Brentford on Saturday. Okay, brilliant. Um, then we've got the two... Home bankers, <laughs> Bournemouth are quite a, Bournemouth are quite a good side these days, um, and you think, well, you know that that's the scary bit. You know, you find yourself you find yourself already thinking of permutations, and it's that's not right. Yep, very true. Well, we'll yeah, we'll come back to, we'll come back to Brentford, uh, but we'll uh, just uh, deal with the uh, the takeover saga now. Um, this obviously broke last week, but we couldn't get enough of us together to talk about it at the time. The club announcing that uh, 777 Partners have signed a deal with Farhad Mashiri to buy out his 94.1% stake in Everton. We, we really don't know a lot about the actual terms of the agreement, but what the likes of The Telegraph and Paul Joyce and The Times have reported throws a little bit of light on it. It appears to be a phased buyout. Uh, Joyce described it as a performance-related deal, in quotes, which probably means we'd stay in the Premier League at a bare minimum. It could end up being as much as $500 million. It sounds, I mean, that sounds on the high end, but uh, obviously doubts have been expressed about whether 777 have that amount of capital to pull it off in the first place. Uh, it's also been reported that 777 have extended Everton alone, 
It was initially described as tens of millions of pounds, which obviously evokes thoughts of maybe 50, 60, 70 or more, but it appears to be 20 million, uh, a 20 million pound bridging loan to sort of aid, aid cash flow and perhaps help pay for some of the next phase of the construction um, at Brownie Moore Dock. Andy, where do you sit on this one? Nervous? Optimistic? Believe it when I see it? Skeptical? Uh, scared, I think. Mm. Um, just because we're only going off what we're reading. Um, this is a new venture. We haven't really got a back catalogue of um, data to go on here about what this company or this consortium does and how they do it. All we can go off is what's happened in the last few years since they've started buying stakes in football clubs. And I'm struggling to find a positive story. Um, and yes, uh, it is a fresh pair of eyes or several fresh pairs of eyes, which could help. Um, I think it will help. But it's, I mean, everything I read and heard before this agreement was made was that, well, this isn't going to happen because they can't afford it. Um, so obviously we've still got that part of the, you know, the, uh, the deal to go in terms of can they prove they can afford it. But I, I'm not, it's not one of those situations where, you know, people that aren't Everton fans have come up to me in the last week and gone, oh, the takeover, you need that desperately, don't you? And yes, it's the answer, but have you, you obviously got no idea about these, these people that are, are rumoured to be, you know, or not rumours now that are, have agreed it and, I don't know. I, I mean, um, I was seeing some of the stuff that the Athletic were writing today, and um, it, it appears quite a grim um, set of predictions from them in terms of how this might go. Um, I, I have no insight myself, but it, when you when you look at what they've already got, you know, um, we've got crowd protests in Belgium and in Australia. You've got. Uh, Sevilla's team up for sale you've got um, Genoa trying to raise a few million quid for a training ground apparently mm -hmm. um, so doesn't bode well I wouldn't say and I mean it, it won't take much at the moment f after all we've just discussed it won't take much at the moment for this club to potentially just finish falling off the cliff Um we're kind of scraping down it, aren't we, with our fingernails? Um, I reckon that could be quite a clean break quite quickly if things go south or off the pitch like like, it, like they could. Um, that's the scary bit, really. Um, I, Yeah, we're in such a fragile position that um, the wrong move could end it all couldn't it as we know it um and that's the scary bit for me and i, I yeah it's, it's not something that i've got excited about i must say I've, I've just been wondering how on earth it's going to work so there we go um there's me uh, i said i was going to be positive after the first bit <laughs> but, uh not managed that so far it's hard it's hard to hard. live up to uh yeah it it is hard to get excited about because it's as you say, there's, there's so there's so many unknowns, and in the same way we can look at the state of things on the pitch and feel confusion and doubt about what's to come, and start. There seems to have crept in as well, and 
it's easy to compare with the unity that came around under survival under uh, under Lampard with all the displays of encouragement and affection from fans turning up at the training ground and just just rallying behind the club and that's the thing everyone wants the same thing everyone wants Everton to do well the tricky thing now is that having skepticism or scrutiny appears to be akin to being a bit of a, a mad prophet who is mad about profit and I I don't really I I don't really think <laughs> Very thank good. you by the way thank you yeah cheers <laughs> cheers for unmuting yourselves guys I uh put, <laughs> Well, I felt like Balls I had to. It was, that, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. that good that it was an unmuted laugh. I, I was yeah. chuckling. I was chuckling to myself in the background. That's no good to anybody. Yeah, I was. I was chuckling to myself when I, you know, wrote, wrote it with the team earlier. But uh, let me know when another one's coming, and I'll unmute quicker. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tend to lick my lips when, I, when I'm just there, warming yeah. up to it. But 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 there does seem to be this this distrust of wanting to kind of examine the people who are going to be the custodians of a club that's in absolute chaos and I don't understand why that would be so what why why we would because to your point Andy I've, I've had the same thing supporters of all the clubs who just see headline Everton in takeover talks god it sounds great because you've got that owner who's a bit loony and who sort of rarely services and when he does says something really odd on talk sport so you know us and I guess sort of Palace fans have got that in common but then we are going out of the frying pan into the fire of just who are these people and I know it's hard to it's very very hard to pick and choose your football owners these days and maybe maybe this group will prove itself to be in the early stages of this multi club format and maybe we'll all be one big happy family and we'll we'll be lining up outside Genoa's new training ground going isn't this great but <laughs> I don't really I don't really see it and and the real worry in, in the in the now because I think that's what we have to focus on because if we start looking too far ahead we start hearing very scary words and investigations and performance related as well um would seem like a pretty early death knell uh, to this deal as well. But I think the fact that the investors are already having to lend money to the club, the fact that MSP have done the same, the fact that we have image rights media as well bubbling along in the, in the background, it's, it's very, very, very messy, isn't it? And just like things on the pitch, you, you, kind, of, you kind of want to drown it out. And normally the way to do that is just normally you can focus with things on the pitch you don't do that so you try and look for the positive off the pitch and then you end up in this horrible spiral of <laughs> despair that we're in no, another possible name for the podcast episode uh, by yes, the way but you you just end up coming coming to and fro between these two these two horrible horrible things that sadly are completely interconnected and yeah there's me i, I can't be positive either um, I hope Paul's listening. I hope Paul is out there having something positive to say back to this because I, I think it's it, it's hard because we all want the same thing. We all want Everton to do well. We all want Everton to survive and thrive and punch above their weight. But at the moment, the evidence for that is just so scant that it's it's hard not to 
wallow a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you just want you just want to to see some stability, and you know the the, the days of us having you know this billionaire benefactor who's going to transform our fortunes overnight that that they're clearly gone. I mean that that ship has sailed. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know it's worked for some clubs. It definitely didn't work out for us, and because you know we're Everton, for some reason we can't have good things. But um, you know, I, I I just don't know how to feel about this one. We desperately need change. Mashiri needs to leave because, you know, the stadium aside, his stewardship of the club has been near disastrous. Um, but is this, is this the right change? I mean, you know, we just don't know. I mean, can we even attract the right buyers? Are there enough mega rich people entities out there with the right track record, you know, business acumen, scruples, human rights values? I mean, because you've got the Glazers, you've got the, you know, the, the Saudis. You know, there's plenty of uh, buyers in the Premier League who, who wouldn't fit the uh, the kind of moral bill that you'd essentially want. Um, when with Triple Seven, there are plenty of allegations and legal challenges with none of them having yet worked their way through the US courts. I mean, obviously they deny all the charges, but uh, and they may yet be exonerated. But if, if you're in our position, as vulnerable a situation as Everson currently seem to be in, it's not exactly comforting, is it? I mean, you're inclined to wonder if there can be so much smoke without some fire. And then there's the question of whether they have the money to pull this off, which, I mean, given that they're, they were late on paying, what was it, less than a million pounds to the British Basketball League earlier this year. Uh, I mean, it's not an unfair question, really, is it? But um, assuming this isn't some elaborate smokescreen, uh, they'll have given Mashiri certain assurances, you, you have to imagine, because he obviously wouldn't be selling if he didn't think he'd actually get the money. But I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Um, how long we're talking about because it could be years for this whole thing to play out picking up on something you just said though about attracting buyers and i know that i i know the perfect buyer isn't out there but again i'm only going off what i've heard and read apparently across the u.s there are lots of i say lots there are certainly some investors that are desperate to get into the english premier league because they can pick up an English football club at the top level for far cheaper than they can a franchised American sports club. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you look at what's available in said Premier League, I mean, Manchester United are the one near the top that their ownership is going round in circles, but they're in a different league to us anyway in terms of the, the, the business. You're not going to buy City. You're not going to buy Newcastle. You're not going to buy Chelsea. You're not going to buy Arsenal. You probably won't buy Spurs. Then you go into the kind of next rung of teams. I mean, Villa are pretty sorted by the looks of it. So we would be, surely, with the history of the club, with the known fan base, with the um, the, the fact that we're down on our luck and we're probably going a bit cheaper than we would be in, in a normal set of circumstances. Why? Why have we suddenly been left with a buyer that doesn't seem to be a very good option. I don't understand I don't understand why there isn't a better option out there for us. And I, I maybe the MSP thing was going to be and that was obviously put on hold by sports and media funding or whatever they're called. But I just I just find it a bit strange how even even if I take my Everton glasses off, if you look at the Premier League and think I want to, I want to get involved in one of these teams. Which one could I get involved with? Which one's available, and which one's got a, a ceiling that can go up to the, you know, up to the heavens? It's Everton, isn't it? 
Well, mm. I, th I think your point about the, us being cheaper than we might ordinarily be, the, the point is that the, the Mashiri's asking price, it does not reflect that. His asking mm. price, if <clears throat> if it's to believe, I mean, Paul Viesk frequently says it's in the region of 400 to 450 million. I mean, that overvalues us, certainly in terms of our of our league position and performance, but also when you factor in just how much money it's going to take to turn this thing around. You know, you know let's say you meet his valuation of 400,000. You put another 200, 250 million into the stadium, another 300 million to clear the debts, and then say another 100, 200 to actually build the team. You're getting towards a billion pounds, and that is a phenomenal amount of money. And there are only certain numbers of individuals who are a capable of doing that and be willing to put that much money into something with no sort of guarantees of success. Um, but when you, I totally agree that when you look at what I mean, this is this is the quintessential sleeping giant of English football. If you are someone like, say, the Qataris who are looking to to buy into Manchester United for five billion, you could pick us up for a lot cheaper and do exactly what the what Sheikh Mansour has done at Manchester City. Uh, if you know, if you did it the right way, I mean, it's 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 almost the same situation. You know, a depressed club living in the shadows of its neighbours, massive history, massive fan base, massive potential. You know, um, a lot of the uh, the infrastructure will be there once the stadium's done. And and perhaps there are people who are just waiting for that stadium to be done um, because then there's an immediate uplift in the value of the club. But uh, yeah, I think just for now, we just do not have the potential buyers there. And I think it's really sad that MSP Sports Capital weren't able to get a foot in the door because they, more so than 777s, appear to be savvy sport people who know how to run a business, but more importantly, are you know, no sport. I mean, one of them's a, the co-owner of the Phoenix Suns, and obviously the other one was the, the inspiration behind Jerry Maguire. So, you know, these people know, they know the industry, and obviously 777 will turn around and say, well, we do too, but your track record is much shorter. You know, you've only, they bought, what's a small amount of Sevilla five years ago, and then they've gone on this, this sort of, this tear of buying up um, smaller clubs around the world in the last couple of years. And... You know, they will say that their, their the, the fruits of their of their labor haven't haven't you know haven't come yet, but it doesn't. There's nothing for us to sort of hang our hat on in terms of knowing whether this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. And also, there's there's so much baggage with Everton at the moment. You've alluded to a lot of it there, Lyndon, with yeah. obviously the stadium, Majiri. I mean, if if you think of this as a sort of dating scenario, you're going to attract someone else with baggage. Everton has baggage. It's got <laughs> the weird creepy ex who won't leave you alone. <laughs> why, why, is it, why is he calling at this hour again? Oh, well, you know, he, he said we had a good few years, so. Um, uh, why is he always listening to talk sport? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, but, but then also there's, there's the investigation as well. There's, there's mm. the ongoing cash concerns. There's mm -hmm there's obviously what's going on on the pitch. So it's no surprise, but the guy you end up with is a bit of a sort of <laughs> American dirtbag, really. It's kind of, you, 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 it's, it's, it's a massive shame because we, we know the potential. And I think others normally would see that. It's not just our Everton specs, which you probably need to change a prescription on mine because uh, I don't like what I'm seeing, but there's um cue pause. And then, but then... <laughs> But that's that's the issue now. That there's there's all these other these all these other issues just 
coming into the fray and i i think sadly this is this is where we're at in the same way that we kind of held our hands up and said yeah we, we probably are the neil mope side that's the sort of striker we attract we're not in the big leagues anymore we're not signing players from real madrid and barcelona not that uh, that always worked out well either but when when we do the same with our owners as, as with our managers and it's this is this is sadly where we're at isn't it and hopefully um i guess i guess the ideal scenario is and it's worth saying as well that 777 have spelled things out really clearly as well they've said they're going to create a structure that creates significant synergies through access to world-class data and analytics play development and global commercial opportunities which i think is we can all agree on uh is something we desperately need <laughs> in both the short and long term um but this is this is this is what you get isn't it really and and hopefully yeah what i was going to say is that maybe maybe this opens the door for other investors maybe this is the stopgap maybe this keeps the lights on that this is a little like the msp deal where it it shows that majiri is willing to sell and maybe he's pushed to a point where he does have to drive his demands down and maybe that's where someone savvy steps in when things are a little bit more stable and we've yeah to use the relationship uh kind of analogy we've found ourselves a little bit <laughs> When people are scrolling through the podcast uh, provider, they see a, an episode called uh, Spiral of Despair. I don't think they'll appreciate quite how much fun we had in Spiral of Despair. Um, gallows, gallows humour. Gallows yeah. humour, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, oh. uh, let, let's park the off-the-field off stuff for now and uh, uh, return to <laughs> the football uh, next up, <laughs> yeah, do we have to? Uh, next up, we have two away games. Uh, one of the Premier League at Brentford, and then a return to Villa Park in the Carabao Cup that uh, none of us can really be looking forward to, based on what happened uh, there at the end of August. Um, my first question to you both before we get to Brentford, and this same, this may sound sacrilegious given our uh, long-term trophy drought, but how much should we really be going for it in the League Cup this season, given our plight in the league? Uh, is it a case of trying to use the cup? Uh, to establish some winning momentum, not that it worked last time, or could it prove you know too much of a distraction uh, to the more important tasks at hand? Well, I'm I was just looking up exactly when the games are. Um, so how how much gap have we got before Brent before Villa from Brentford? Is it Saturday to Wednesday? Uh, Brentford Saturday. Saturday evening, isn't it? And then. Yeah. Okay, and then Wednesday is it for the for the yes, it's Villa away Wednesday night, and then the next league game after that is Saturday three o'clock at home to Luton. Oh my word! So, um, well, um, I think we're all safe in the knowledge that we're not going to win the League Cup ever. I mean, ever, but especially not this year. Yes. Um, uh, and therefore, I think. I would be relatively comfortable this year, which hasn't been the case other years, I must say. But I would be relatively comfortable this year if we saw what you consider a first 11 out on Saturday and then the following Saturday. And in between, give it a good go, but change the team. Give 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 players a rest. I, I mean, I say rest, crikey. What are we resting them from, really? But, I mean, <laughs> you know... Um, it's, it's hardly as if we've had a fixture pileup, but I, yeah. I, I mean, I think this year might be a little bit different in terms of how I mentally approach 
games that aren't the Premier League because you know we're so close to Bramley Moor and we we just have to get as many points as we can and I and I I think um you know I think I'd be more comfortable than other years to see a much changed team and us to go out 3-1 away at Villa Park. I guess the difference this year and again me and Andy had a chat about this before on our on our sister podcast that uh, we've not quite got the rights to yet. Um, it's a performance related deal. Um, but there, there isn't really the depth there, is there, to, to kind of totally well, change the first Well, that's what I was going to say, yeah. Um, so I, while I, I agree, Andy, I think I think if there is a year to, to really focus on the league, um, if we have to, I guess, but um, then this this would be it. But then you start to look at that side and you think, well, is Tyler Anyango gonna come in to midfield? Is is Andre Gomez gonna come in? Is it the chance to rehabilitate Deli Alley? Obviously not against Villa, but I guess if we got through to the next round it might be. Um it's a chance to blood Shamiti and give him some English football, uh, to get him up to speed. I guess defence is the area where you and potentially the goalkeeper as well, I guess. Um Billy Krellin, two two year deal, by the way. Congratulations, Billy. Mm. Um but um there's there's not really a lot we can do there, is there? It's it's maybe yeah, maybe maybe nurse some players back who've and maybe improve the confidence of the likes of Ben Godfrey. I guess but the one thing I'd say with Villa is that they've got um an away game against uh, League of Warsaw uh tomorrow night. They've got Chelsea away on Sunday and then they play us on Wednesday. So how much of a priority they'll be putting into uh, the League Cup, I guess that that might have an effect. But in terms of what we can do, I, I guess maybe it is a chance to, to build some confidence because surely some of that first-team squad are, are going to have to be involved both at the weekend and then uh, in midweek as well. Yeah, actually, can, can I just kind of go back on what I said there? I just had a... <laughs> yeah. If we a, can start doing this on the podcast, by the way, I'm going to do it a lot more. Yeah, so. uh, <laughs> yeah. I've just had a look at our squad list, which I, I've actually written down. So I'm my own worst enemy here. I've actually written this Probably down. Probably didn't in the last... say very long. No, yeah. no, it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> I, I haven't wasted much ink. Um, that there is so little you can do that actually it's going. To, we, I mean, we, it's going to be more or less a first team anyway, isn't it? I mean, you could you could see Harrison getting some minutes if yeah. he, if he doesn't at the weekend. You could definitely see Michael Keane and Ben Godfrey playing. Uh, if Patterson doesn't start again at the weekend, you could see him playing. James Garner, same as. I don't know whether he'll will will be dipping into Andre Gomez. I, I don't think I, he's fit yet. I think right. you know, Deitch alluded to him injury, having yeah. having some injury problems, but wanting okay. to sort of rehabilitate him back into the team, which is a sort of thing you say when a player's just uh, not secured a move in the transfer window. Mm. But I mean, mm. yeah, potentially. I mean, he can play football. It's just whether he can get his his head right. Yeah, I mean McNeil's just coming back. It might be good minutes for him, and then Dominic Carvalho—in the same. You could argue that he may not start at the weekend, so he could start on Wednesday. So actually, um, I'm going to go full circle, and um, uh, well, not full circle, but I can see a strong side um, just with the players that haven't started on uh, you know, on the weekend at Brentford. Um, but I mean, crikey. Of all the draws, of all the draws, really, mm, yeah, mm. there are a few that are worse, really. 
<laughs> well, but it does depend on on what side Villa put out, as you say, and, and what sort of I mean, what sort of frame of mind they're in, given they they, you know, they have bigger priorities as well. But I mean, it would just be like us to go on a on a long cup run just when we've sacked it off and thought perhaps we shouldn't yeah. be in the cup yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, in going back full circle on yourself, Andy, you've actually covered pretty much everything I was going to say. So, um, oh, I, sorry. I, no, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's basically what it is, isn't it? I mean, I, I would just finish by saying that, you know, in many ways, just playing the cup games at the moment is a risk because we don't really have a big enough squad to absorb any more injuries or, you know, or do much player rotation, as we've said. So, I mean, we can just move then on to Brentford. Um, I mean, we're all, we're all looking at the home games against Luton and Bournemouth as being hugely determining fixtures in the context of our season and perhaps Deitch's future, but I suspect not. Uh, but Saturday offers obviously a big opportunity to take some pressure off those two games because, I mean, the longer we go without winning in the league, the more stressful those home games are going to become. I mean, we saw last season against the likes of Wolves, Southampton, Fulham, Newcastle, that, you know, all that pent-up anxiety can go one way or the other. And uh, all too often, I think it, it kind of went the other way. Uh, I watched Brentford against Newcastle on the, uh, last week, and they didn't. They really didn't look any great shakes. Um, so I think that if we can kind of have a similar performance to the the one we did at Sheffield United, obviously cutting out the uh, that kind of vacuous midfield uh, or vacuum in the midfield, then I think we, we we I think the template is there from you know games like the Brighton one away. Uh, and Forest away last season, Leicester away, that the template is there for us to actually come away with something from this game that perhaps we weren't weren't expecting. I hope so. I really hope so. I think I think the the thing that needs to come back and we mentioned it earlier is at, at least in a lot of those poor results earlier this season, we created chances and obviously yeah. that, that went completely missing against Arsenal. As you'd maybe expect, but probably not to the extent uh, that it happened, uh, particularly particularly once Arsenal scored, there was really wasn't really a flicker, was there? So I'd, I'd expect a lot more um, from our attacking players. It's obviously good to have Dwight McNeil back, even though he's clearly got to get back up to speed following that injury. Um, but it's it's nice to nice to have him back in the side. It'd be interesting to see where that leads Dan Juma, um, who should be up to speed by now, but we still probably need to work out where best to where best to play him. I mean, I, ideally, someone closer to to Beto, who I who mm-hmm. I imagine would be starting. Um, it's it's a real shame we didn't get to see the the hallowed Beto uh, Calvert Lewin partnership uh, potentially mm-hmm. unfold. But I guess we, we haven't really at the moment. I probably say we haven't got the personnel to make that work either, really. Um, and certainly away against Brentford isn't the time to try it, but. It will be, it'll be a tough game. They're a really well organised side. Even when they're on an off day, they're better drilled and probably more consistent than we are, which oh, yeah. Yeah. reflects in their league position. They've got they've got a, got a savvy manager and they've got players who can who can hurt you, um, as as we've seen since uh, since their promotion. So I'm not I'm not as pessimistic as I maybe was going into the Arsenal game and probably not as pessimistic as I should be post that game and after everything we've spoken about today. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that we necessarily go there and win, but I think if we can if we can create some chances and give what will again be 
a great travelling away contingent. Give them something mm. to hang their hat on. Yeah. Give them something, anything. Give them chances. Give them more than what we said earlier. What was it? Throwings and Beto wrestling with someone. Give them, give them at least Beto nodding one in off the post. Give them that. And then it's something to build on for, as you say, Lyndon Bowes. Massive, massive two home games to follow. Yeah, I mean, what do I think about the Brentford game, honestly? Um, can I see us getting anything? Well, yes, I think I probably can. Um, if we play well, if we play, um, if we if we create the chances we did in the first, well, few games, barring the Villa match, mm. um, I feel as if we haven't really seen Beto in a team that's created chances yet. I mean, Sheffield United, yes, we we did, but they didn't necessarily fall to him. And I'd like to see him, you know, get a couple of chances. Just, you know, because his, his finish against Don, Doncaster was fantastic. I mean, the second one was. The first one was... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, <laughs> uh, near the corner flag. But um, yeah. but I, I, I'd like... Yeah, I, I I think there's the opportunity to go and get a point there. Um, if, we, if we won at Brentford, I think it would be potentially season-changing, really, just in terms of where it would... Uh, what it would do for confidence and you know, knowing that we've got those two home games coming up. Um, I've just been looking at last season, and last season felt quite bleak, didn't it? At this point, but actually, you know, we'd at least drawn three games by this point last year. Um, and then we drew another one, and then we won two on the trot. Um, you know, so it only takes often. What I'm getting at is, it only takes one thing to push you on, and then we've got those two games coming up, which we could easily win both of those at Goodison. Um, yeah, I. I I'm confident that we'll be better than we were against Arsenal. I, I really am confident about that because everybody else we've played in the middle of the table ish has we, we we've 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 done okay against. Um, it's just it's a shame that it's a shame that 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 ma- that match has come now rather than the likes of Fulham home coming now or Wolves at home coming now when we've got players coming back. Um, mm. I, I I'd back us to get a point there. Okay. Well, uh, uh, you look uh, surprised. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really, because I think we're capable of it as well. <clears throat> no, again, based on the way that we've played in certain matches this season, um, and I think <laughs> we can only we can only be better than we were on Sunday. I mean, let's mm. face it. Yeah. So, uh, well, we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks, Adam and Andy, for their company. Uh, the pod will be back next week, either before or soon after that cup tie against Villa to discuss uh, the state of Everton on and off the pitch. And if there's any further news about the takeover or our prospective Floridian overlords, in the meantime, take care, Blues, and up the toffees. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.